Welcome, welcome, welcome to the very first episode of our wine podcast. My name is Tobias Salvai, and I'm connected with Phil Cook. Hi, Phil, how are you? Very good, my friend. How are you? Oh, good, thanks. Really pumped and excited to start this new journey throughout uh, uh, Grapes, uh, as the podcast is called, Grapes. But um, before that, I want to talk a little bit about why we want to do this and firstly and mostly introduce ourselves to our listeners. So Phil, tell us a bit about yourself. So I have a, a long background in the food industry as a, a chef, a cheesemonger and a baker. Um, I've always had an interest in wine and wanted to move into the wine industry, um, which is what I did around three and a half years ago. Um, I've done my WCT Wine Qualifications Level 2, which I've done for yourself, and working towards my Level 3 and my Spirits Qualifications. But the podcast, uh, just a, yeah, an exciting uh, thing to do, I think, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, same as you. I've, um, I started to work uh, with wine a little bit longer than, than you did, but in yeah. a total different subject. I, was, uh, I started with hospitality, working in bars and restaurants, then I moved towards the wholesale side of things and uh, I'm now working in retail. Uh, myself as well, uh, uh, WSET Level 2. Uh, funny laugh, either though I'm from Italy, I've uh, uh, developed my passion for wine here in Scotland. So that's quite uh, quite quite a new thing, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I'm really excited to do to do this um, this journey throughout grapes and then wines, uh, just because um, uh, first of all, I think it's a really fun thing to do, recording a podcast. Uh, secondly, um, I've noticed it's uh, great for, uh, for me and for us as well to, to refresh our memory, you know, uh, and you know, pinpoint all of the concepts that we already learned uh, about grapes and wines. And mostly, hopefully, that will be something fun to listen to and uh, somewhat... Uh, people can learn a little bit from uh, from what we know. Uh, Absolutely. Oh, or maybe not, and we just <laughs> have a blast. Who knows, you know. Um, so our very first topic, uh, so episode number one, it's about uh, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, which is uh, one of the most renowned grape around the world. And... Uh, um, part of the uh, noble grapes, so grapes that are considered noble because widely planted all around the planet. Um, I've been doing some researches about the history and, you know, the origins of Capsava. I don't know if you're interested in it, but uh, apparently, Phil, this was for very long a mystery. Okay. Basically, speculation says that... Uh, the origins of the of the grape, of the name of the grape, uh, are dated uh, back to the 17th century, um, and the, the the grape was called Bidure, which uh, uh, we can think of uh, uh, a grape coming from France, but uh, some says also Spain. Okay. Uh, there are no traces about this uh, before the 17th century, uh, even though I can guess that Cabernet Sauvignon was already produced back before. Uh, for some reason, then, uh, uh, this grape called Bidur uh, in the common language became Vidur, which uh, uh, somewhat, you know, sounded like Vidur, that in French stands for hard vine. 
and yeah, this is this is really probably you know the link to the fact that cups of it's quite a resistant vine and plant uh, but uh, there's really no clarity over this uh, uh, or at least for what we know then uh, in 1997 uh, the mystery was finally solved Uh, thanks to, uh, of course, modern technologies, to a DNA test done by the University of California. Uh, and they found out uh, something uh, quite silly and probably <laughs> already uh, known by a few uh, winemakers. But basically, they, they found out and they proved that Cabernet Sauvignon is basically a crossbreed uh, between Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc. So a crossbreed, it's basically, is like a, a, a grape of Cabernet Franc and a grape of Sauvignon Blanc had sex, a baby's born and the baby is called Cabernet Sauvignon. And apparently this happened spontaneously. So there was no sort of uh, special helps, as they say, to make this happen. Um, you can then also you know tell about the the fact that these two grapes influence the style of cabernet sauvignon by the the typical smell of of cup uh, which is you know quite quite peppery and it got nice freshness um of course then uh, uh, we know that uh, uh, cabernet sauvignon became then well established over the centuries Uh, mostly in uh, Bordeaux, uh, I would say by the mid and the end of the 18th century. Uh, I don't know if you got anything to add about this in terms of uh, where Cap Sauv is from and mostly, you know, the areas and the where it's cultivated. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously it's now grown widely across the, the globe, but Bordeaux is uh, the sort of obvious place to start, particularly on the left bank. Uh, which is sort of, I guess you would agree, that's seen as the sort of the great spiritual home. Um, Indeed, so, yes. Yeah, so so left bank, it's got quite a moderate climate, um, which can sometimes make the, the grape a little bit difficult to ripen. But the left bank has very gravelly soils. Um, and what that does is during the day, the the gravelly soil is the rocks. Um, they absorb the heat. And then that is then fed back into the, to the, uh, the vines to help ripen them. And it also means that rainwater is easily drained away. It helps it to drain uh, keep the, the soil a little bit um, drier, obviously, to help, again, help in the ripening process. Um, Bordeaux uh, it was particularly, it's particularly used for blending uh, with things like Merlot, Cab Franc, things like that. Well, in the south of France, where it is a lot warmer, uh, you will find single variety of Cabernet Sauvignons uh, just on your own. Um, elsewhere, um, You can get some very good quality uh, Cabernet Sauv in California's Napa Valley in Sonoma. Uh, very full-bodied wines, um, which the vines benefit from quite a long growing season due to also the, the sheer amount of sunshine uh, in that area. And yeah, like I say, it produces really full-bodied, quite boiling. I'd say it's boiling hot down there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, as I say, The moderate climate to Bordeaux a little bit different, um, but the, the gravelly soils help. Um, I also enjoy, I'm actually just back from Italy, as you know, and um, actually enjoyed some very, very well-priced Cabernet Sauvignons uh, from a little winery from, from your homeland, of course. Um, but I, I very much enjoy Cab Sauvs uh, with a little coastal influence, like in 
the Margaret River in Australia or Stellenbosch, Hawke's Bay in New Zealand another area. Where I find the wines are a little bit more sort of, for me anyway, elegant in style, um, which I quite like. Sometimes you can drink the, the quite tannic ones, it's just a little bit too much, you know. Um, but for value for money, um, I think you have to look no further than Chile, um, where the grape blossoms again, areas like the Maipo Valley and the Conchuagua Valley in particular, um, which the, the land is, is very flat and fertile, it's all this valley plains, so yeah, the grapes, the, the vines really benefit from the fertile soils. Uh, and as I say, the, the selling point for Chilean cab is you just get very good value for money. And there's a big focus on organic farming in Chile with the, in the wine industry, uh, which for me is quite important. Um, but talking about the grape, you're going to explain a little yeah, bit more about Yeah, well, for, for, for what I gather from what you just said, and uh, I think it proves as well, Danny, what I'm about to say, we, we got a grape that it's it's sensational because it's very recognizable, but however, it's really adaptable to be planted pretty much all over the world. It can uh, it can deliver on colder climates, it can deliver on warmer climates. So it's a really strong, and that Vindur concept that we were talking about before comes back. It's a really you know strong and adaptable grape. The fruits, so the, the, the grape berries basically, are really small sized. Yeah. Uh, so you need uh, you need quite a lot of them then to make juice. Um, the grape itself got a very thick skin, uh, and thick skins in a grape always means uh, uh, two things. I'd say. Uh, thing number one, color. Uh, a thick skin delivers a lot of what they call polyphenolic compound of a wine, uh, without over complicating it color the color of a wine is determined by the skin yes. and then also the thickness um, and as well the pips which are literally the woody bits you know between the fruits uh, are a major factor for the tannins Cabernet Sauvignon is, a, is quite a tannic grape it's actually a high tannin grapes uh, and those tannins so um, to explain tannins in your palate we can say that tannins are that feeling of dryness in your mouth when you're sipping a red wine uh, it's something typical from all of the skins of all of the fruits and of course they we taste them mostly in grapes and wines as the skins are used then for fermentation um, it's something quite uh, quite important because it defines properly the taste of Cabernet Sauvignon uh, the plant itself got a very good resistance to rot. It's a, it's a really vigorous plant. And uh, uh, depending on the areas as well, um, it's, it's really prone to ripe uh, really slowly and late, allowing uh, you know, a full maturation, uh, a slow and proper maturation of the fruits to then deliver uh, high quality wines. Um, high quality wines, I guess, feel that uh, they will have different flavors and they will pair different kind of foods all around uh, the areas of provenience. Absolutely. I kind of feel like we should have a glass with us, but I don't anyway, so I don't know if you do, but... <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> this is the, la the, the least sommelier thing we could do, actually. Talk about wine without drinking wine. That's absolutely. Awful. Okay. Next, we'll, next we'll... episode, put it on the memos, yes, drink a glass absolutely. of wine. Right. <laughs> um, so, so in terms of flavors of Cabernet Sauvignon, obviously as I alluded to earlier, 
the flavors can differ from region to region, from growing conditions to weather and things like that. Um, but the general flavors you can expect are, are dark fruits, things like black currants, plums, blackberry. Uh, there's the influence of oak, uh, wood in there, cedar, tobacco, bacon spices, uh, even through to um, things like mint, bay leaf and chocolatey notes. Um, which I think mint's one I quite like personally. I know it could sound a little bit strange, but I quite it almost gives it a sort of refreshing uh, quality to the wine, which I quite like. Um, so next time you're having a glass, just swirl it around your mouth a little bit and see what you pick up. And you know, depending on where you're um, you're purchasing your wine from, what country, you, you do get different nuances of the of the beautiful grape. Um, Food appearance wise, sorry, uh, excuse me. Generally speaking, we are talking of a full bodied wine, no? Yes, um, absolutely full bodied, uh, quite ripe tannins, um, and that moves on to sort of food pairings, which I think makes such a great food pairing wine, um, because it's got that sort of acidity, the sort of ripe tannins that cut through fatty foods, um, hence why it's the ideal foil for roast beef, roast lamb, you know, your Sunday roast, perfect wine for that. And things like rich sauces um, also works well with peppery dishes as well. You've also got a little bit of spice in there too, which can sort of season the food. Um, but for me, the acidity is perfect for cutting through rich dishes and giving a little bit of relief and enhancing those dishes as well. It really brings out the spice um, and the flavours of the meat and the, the roastedness that you get in the oven, the sort of mired effect the beef or lamb uh so yeah but a great a great food wine fantastic fantastic god i'm hungry <laughs> uh, and interesting um i just want to uh, tell you a little story uh, which i found quite funny when i was reading uh, as i'm from italy i'm gonna talk about uh, uh the story of uh, of an italian cabernet sauvignon which is quite unique uh, I'm pretty sure there are interesting and fantastic stories about also you know, Bordeaux wineries or uh, um, American wineries. But uh, I think this one here, as I am Italian myself, uh, uh, makes sense, you know, to be told. So um, I think you heard of a wine called Sassicaia. Absolutely. Uh, Sassicaia, for those that don't know it, uh, it's uh, uh, right now the hot thing in Italy in terms of wine. Um, it's a Tuscan wine. It's actually a blend, 85% Cabernet Sauvignon, 15% Cabernet Franc. The percentage varies throughout the vintages, but usually speaking, it's mostly Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, so the story of this wine is really is really something because uh, uh, the owner of this estate called Tenuta Sanguido, uh, a guy called Mario Incisa della Rocchetta, uh, kind of a noble name in Italy, um, had this uh, this sort of intuition uh, based on his on its love uh, for uh, uh, Bordeaux wine, and in 1944 um, he started to produce this. Uh, um, Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc wine only allocated for family use that he was keeping and laying down uh, uh, in cellars for several years. Now, as you can imagine, uh, back in 1940, 1945, 
in Italy, uh, taken also the, the political climate of the time, growing uh, something that wasn't Italian, so Sangiovese or Nebbiolo or whatever, was, uh, was literally an insult to the country and to the origins and traditions of the country. So uh, imagine this guy uh, in Tuscany uh, removing from his estate the uh, old Sangiovese vines to plant Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, you know, lots of Italian in the area went like, uh, ma che cazzo, you know, what the fuck are you doing, you know? <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, he had a lot of enemies back then at the time. Then, uh, um, in 1968, he decided to release its first label for sale, and uh, he participated to several wine competitions, uh, one of which was in Bordeaux, and uh, in the room with him, there were the best sommeliers of the um, Bordeaux panel. Uh, most of them, of course, French. And uh, as it works on the blind tasting, uh, you basically sip a wine and you assess its qualities and its properties uh, without knowing what is it. Uh, long story short, the guy won the prize for the best Bordeaux in Paris, even though it wasn't a Bordeaux and it wasn't a French wine. From then on, the reputation in Italy and all over the world grew massively and it became now, uh, in 2015 actually, the the best wine in the world voted by such a, a, a big magazine called Wine Spectator. Did you know this story, Phil, at all? Yes, I've not tried the wine, but uh, one day, hopefully, I can uh, get what you're talking about. But uh, yeah, there's a, a very famous wine, as you say, and uh, also commands quite a high price. Um, what would you expect to sort of pay for a sort of bottle? Obviously, depending on the, the vintage. Dep- depending, depending on the vintages, but let's say we can go from uh, from 120 up to thousands of pounds, depending on the state of it, the, the age and the vintage. Sure. I think the 1968 vintage is, is not even available anymore or if it is, it's like uh, either you buy a car or you buy a bottle of that. <laughs> um, that takes us actually to the very last chapter of our first episode. Lovely. Uh, of which I think uh, I'm quite pleased the time flies. It's been 20 <laughs> minutes and it's it pretty does. good. Sure. Um, one recommendation, Phil. Uh, it's something that I we both do for a living, recommending wines to people. Um, I decided to to divide my recommendations into three kind of categories: expensive, okay. medium expensive, and you know, low value or good value for money. Okay. So for expensive, uh, well, of course we've spoken about Sassicaia, but also the uh, Saint Julien from a winery called Louville Barton. It's a, it's a very okay. nice blend. Cap Sauv, uh, Cap Franc, Touch of Merlot. Sells for around uh, 100, uh, 150 pounds a bottle. Again, depending on vintages. It's outstanding. It's very savory, very, very meaty. Then for the medium-priced one, uh, I've um, selected uh, uh, another wine from the same Tuscan winery of Sassicaia that I was talking to you about before. Uh, this wine is called Guido Alberto. Uh, that sells for around 40, 45 pounds. Uh, it's, quite, it's quite interesting because uh, it's pretty much Sassicaia, not high in quality. Um, 
you know, less selection, uh, less aging, less uh, finesse to it. But, you know, for 40 pounds, you're drinking a really serious wine that is still close... super Tuscan, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It sounds close enough, you know, to, to... it tastes close enough to Sassicaia. And then for the low value uh, or good value for money wine, as you mentioned correctly earlier, Chile is a fantastic country for it. Yeah. So, um, there's a wine that I tried recently from the Colchagua Valley called uh, uh, Terra Noble, which is the name of the winery. It's their Reserva Especial. So it's a cup of the age for uh, one year in oak. And it sells at a bargain price of 12 pounds, which for the quality of this wine, it's fantastic. It, it really is a good, good wine. I think if this label was stating Bordeaux, it, it was going to probably cost a double. Yeah, agreed. It's, they're a very good value for wines, the Terra Noble range. There's nice Carmenere as well, isn't there? Um, Indeed. Um, so I guess my choice is then, um, obviously working in the wine industry, you're, you do a lot of trade tastes and things, which is quite lucky because you, you get wines that, you know, they're not everyday wines. And uh, especially this time of financial crisis. Um, but I've chosen uh, one from the Staglin family called Salas in the Napa Valley. Uh, it's a family-run organic winery where their states uh, been uh, dates back to 1868. Uh, a really ripe and bold uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, really beautiful, um, and the sort of the style you'd expect from a big bold Cab Sauv, if you like those sort of styles. It's got a nice herbaceousness to it as well. Um, you could age it; it goes for around around 100 pounds, depending on where you find it. Uh, mid-range, I've, it would be wrong not to choose something from uh, Bordeaux, so I've chosen uh, Segla Margot, which is quite a famous old winery um, yes. owned by the Chanel, the Chanel Fashion House. Um, it's got a little bit of Merlot in there, so obviously being Bordeaux, like I said earlier, uh, you can expect the Bordeaux blends. But very ripe tannins, it's got a nice violet quality and the, the cedar notes from the wood. Uh, again, you could put that away for seven or eight years if you can wait that long and uh, it'll add value and benefit from it. Uh, and entered every day. Uh, I went to Australia for this one, the Jim Barry Cover Drive. Um, nice. 11, 12 pounds. Um, it's quite, I like it because it's got that nice silky texture and it's really smooth in the mouth on the palate when you drink it. But it's full bodied and it's got that mintiness that. Uh, I, I like as well. So it's a nice food wine, very refreshing. But you know, more of your everyday wines, 11, 12 pounds, great bargain. Fantastic. Great, Phil. I think uh, I think that's it for, for our first episode. It's okay. been uh, real fun for me. I hope you had fun too. I hope Definitely. those that are going to listen uh, are going to have fun as well. Uh, we would like that to hear uh, everyone's opinion about this first episode. If you've got any suggestions or any comments, please let us know. And uh, I think we can then chat about uh, um, wine again next week, Phil. What do you think about it? I'll be there. Absolutely look forward to it. Great. Have a good evening, man. You too. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>